Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Grace Atwood. And today's book club day. It is. But before we get into the book, today's episode is brought to you by Knight. Knight is, as you probably know, the makers of our all-time favorite pillow and now our favorite face mask. We'll tell you more about it later in the episode, but if you'd like to take 20% off your order, you can use our code BOP20 at discoverknight.com. So Grace, before we get into our August book club pick, let's do some highs and lows. Yes. What's your high? I think my high is I have been working out really consistently this week. I've been doing a lot of walks and stuff, but I haven't like me and Melissa have been on a hiatus and Melissa and I Melissa and I had a falling out. Melissa and I are back together. We're having a great we're having a great time. We're working out. I've been doing her her weekly calendar. I love her workouts. I like that they're sometimes they're only 20 minutes long. Yesterday I did a 40 minute workout, which like 40 minute workout would have been like a quick thing pre pandemic. Now I'm like 40 minutes. Oh, that's a long one. I have fallen so out of the routine. I I can't remember if I only talked about this in real life or if I talked about this on the podcast, but I think that I'm going to get a Soul Cycle bike and rekindle my relationship with Soul Cycle. Yeah, I don't know when it's going to be safe to go to Soul Cycle again. So I think that's a smart decision. Right. I mean, the biggest consideration for me is that it would junk up my living room because it, it wouldn't fit in my office. Yeah. Um. So it would have to go behind my couch. And I like that my living room is pretty and doesn't have this like eyesore bike in it. But at the same time, I'm like, I think my mental health is more important. So yeah, I think I'm going to do that because I've really fallen off the bandwagon of Melissa Wood Health and like at home weight training workouts. I think that's smart. There was a... I. I couldn't do it just because of my space. I feel like your layout would be more conducive to it. I got offered a free exercise bike from a brand, and I was so tempted to take it. You should have. No, it, there's nowhere it would go in the apartment. It would look awful. You should have gotten rid of that bench and put it over there. No, 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 no. That's Tyrion's bench. Tyrion has enough space in this house. I he know. Likes he likes his does. couch. He does. Yeah, I, I haven't been on the workout train either. Yeah. You know one thing that I think has like really impacted my working out is that I used to do it and I used to do it at like around nine in the morning and the internet would always like crap out in the middle of it. So it ended up being so frustrating and taking so much more time because the internet would go out in the middle because I feel like it was like right in the morning when people were getting online. The internet's been so bad lately. So mine's actually been okay. So I don't know. Maybe I should just like be like two o'clock is my workout time, like some weird time. Yeah. I don't know. I do a different time every time of day. I'm not like every I'm not that consistent, but I just make sure I always do it. And I think because Melissa's workouts are so short, I'm like, you can cram it in. Like, you have the time. How about you? So mine is, I feel silly talking about the weather for my high, but it's that it's walking weather again. So it was so hot in New York for like two weeks, maybe even longer. And I just, I felt trapped in my house because it was too hot to go for long walks. So it's finally nice again. I've been going for such long walks. I actually read this book um, as an I reread it as an audiobook to get ready for this episode. So I've been taking like two hour walks a day listening to the audiobook and I am so happy. It is crazy how much of a difference it makes for my mental health to be to go on a long walk every day. That's great. So that is definitely my high. Yes. I didn't have a low, but I think I might have the same problem as your low. What's your low? Nothing works. My computer 
kept pittering out this week. Like it just like the internet breaks every day, like multiple times. I just feel like I'm like, is Mercury in retrograde? Just with it's, my technology stuff. It's not. Uranus is in retrograde. I don't really believe in any of that. I don't believe in it either. But I know this because I was having the same conversation with other people this week because I have been having such a bad tech week. Like everything is broken. Things like don't work that should work. Like yeah. stupid things. Like not my computer, not actually the hardware, but like I had to download a file and it like wouldn't it was a song and it like wouldn't play on my computer. And then I like went back and forth 9 million times and they're like, I don't know what to tell you. Like it works. And then finally I like put it in Slack to other people. And I was like, can somebody else try this? Like I was like, I can download it, but it won't play. And then it like worked fine for them. And I was like, everything is Everything's broken. broken. Well, Alex just sent me a text. She just wrote, it's bad outside today. People are weird and crazy. Stay safe, friend. I feel like the world is just weird like this week. No, she probably went out on her stoop where there was like a drug deal going on when I came over. So, no, she was in the city. She was oh, doing work city. stuff. Yeah. Oh, she, so she doesn't even know about that yet. She doesn't even know about the drug deal. She then said, what did she say? She said, it's just an epically frustrating day and nothing is getting done because of COVID. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. So, did you read that um, article? I feel like I saw it going around the internet earlier this week about how your surge energy is depleted. Oh, I did read that because it was on our family group text because my poor sister Meredith is in the middle of moving from Minnesota to Ithaca and everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. She's also like homeschooling her kids while starting a new job while moving all of their stuff and putting together bunk beds and she's, she's broken. Yeah, I feel like I read that article. I think I saw it on Hitha's Five Smart Reads Instagram stories. And I read it and I was like, this makes so much sense. And it's like, it's science fact. It's not like mercury retrograde, you know, like yeah. junk science. Yeah. Um, but it was about how um, at the beginning of COVID, everyone kind of had this like rush of adrenaline and it was like, we have to get through this. We have to like do stuff. And so a lot of people had like, they coped with it. But now that it's been going on so long, like everyone's just out of it's called surge energy, and I feel like everyone kind of just feels like a little bleh and irritable and yucky. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was more like that in July. I feel like in August I got like a a second wind, but July was bad. I just feel irritated by things more so. Yes. Like the fact that I couldn't download this file is, is admittedly such a stupid thing, but I was like so irritated about it. And yeah. I feel like little things just get to me more. Now. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, shall we get into this book? Yes. But wait, first, let's – should we take a s- sponsor break? Let's do it. Okay. So we're going to take a quick break to talk about night, which, as you know, we are obsessed. So we love this pillow. We love the eye mask for sleeping. We love the gold face masks. We're obsessed with their scrunchies. Everything this brand does is great. I swear, every single thing that they make is amazing. I miss using the travel pillow. We we haven't gone anywhere in a long time. We haven't. But um, the brand was founded on using materials that combine efficacy with beauty benefits. So, of course, their new silk face mask is so amazing. I have a lot of face masks, as everyone knows from Instagram, but these are among my most favorites. I'm willing to say that these are my hands-down favorite. So at the beginning of COVID, 
I feel like I was getting a little bit of maskne from going on long walks with a mask on and just breathing hot air into it. And it was really irritating my skin. And now I'm seeing people talk about their maskne on Instagram, but I'm over here feeling real smug because I totally nipped that in the bud with my night mask. So their face masks are made of 100% silk, which is breathable, still protective, and also skin friendly. So I have two of them and I kind of just alternate. They're the only ones I wear these days. They're just so much better than all my other ones. And since we're going to be wearing masks for for the foreseeable future, I think it's definitely makes sense to invest in a good one. So we've already covered that this one will not irritate your skin, but it also has these little adjustable ear loops um, to ensure a snug fit and a nose clip so that you don't fog your sunglasses up with your breath. It's so smart. Also, we like that it's cute. I had to go to an in-person recording when we were doing rom-com pods and um, – we had to wear masks the whole time. And one of the girls, one of the actresses saw my mask and she was like, is that a silk face mask? That is so fucking chic. And she had a British accent and I felt so cool. And like, I was like, it is chic, isn't it? Um, Because like, let's be honest, we care. If you're wearing a mask all the time, I want it to be a good looking one. So these masks come in six cute colors. They come in emerald green, pink, tan, black, and gunmetal. And they also just launched a cream one. I want that. I want the cream one too, but the emerald green is my favorite. Um, lastly, Knight is a female-owned small business. Lately, I've been more and more conscious where I'm spending my dollars, and I love supporting a small female-owned business, but also for every mask purchased, they're donating five surgical masks to healthcare workers on the front lines of the COVID response. They've already donated over 10,000 masks and counting. So... If you want to grab a mask of your own, head to discovernight.com and use code BOP20 to take 20% off your order. The code also works on anything on their site. So if you're looking to make your home comfier, you can also grab their famous signature pillow or some of their amazing scrunchies. So again, take 20% off at discovernight.com with code BOP20. All right, let's talk about this book. Before we get into it, and we've said this before, There are some serious triggers with this book. So content warning ahead, there are both there is both sexual and emotional abuse. So if that is something you are triggered by, shut off the episode and go listen to something else. Yes. Grace, this book was so hard to outline because so much happened. I (laughs) I knew a lot happened, but until I tried to condense it, I I was feeling a lot of pressure with this outline. Yeah. Imagine if I had written it, it would be like six pages. It was hard. I'm not a very good at being concise. So Becca always writes the book descriptions because mine always end up being like really long and out of order. (laughs) I was freaking out this morning trying to finish it. Well, you did a great job. Okay. So the book opens with a car accident. So a woman purposefully drives off a cliff and it is unclear exactly what happens, but we know that her impetus is the man she's in the car with. So then we rewind six weeks earlier. And Grace Turner, a 22-year-old Hollywood starlet, has been living with her parents in Anaheim after showing up a year ago after a drug overdose. So she mysteriously dropped out of Hollywood right before award season where she was nominated for a Golden Globe for her performance in a gritty indie movie where she played a sex worker. 
Grace's family relocated from London to California eight years ago when Grace was cast as the lead in a trilogy of movies about teen assassins, which catapulted her to fame. Even though her family was close by, Grace became independent as a teenager, living in hotels and being on location for filming, growing further and further apart from her family. Since then, her parents' lives have gotten increasingly smaller and sad to the point where they don't even ask Grace why she came home in the first place. It's right before Thanksgiving, and Grace's younger sister, Esme, is due to arrive home from boarding school. But when she arrives, she announces that she's been expelled for the rest of the year. Grace's mom tells her that she should go back to L.A. and that she is a bad influence on Esme. So a few days later, Grace's mom brings up that she saw that Abel York, the director that made Grace famous and who she worked with almost exclusively through her eight-year career, is going to get a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Independent Film Awards. So her mom thinks this will bait Grace into going back to L.A., but instead it sends her into a full-blown panic. So that night, Grace leaves Anaheim. She knows that with Abel back at the forefront of her mind, it's only a matter of time before she becomes her worst self and is back to drinking and drugs. Grace arrives in L.A. and goes to her house in Venice. Her husband, Dylan, a documentary filmmaker, is living there with his new girlfriend. He and Grace got married right after her 21st birthday, but she left within the year, and they haven't been in contact since she left L.A. Grace slowly figures out how to resume her life in L.A., um, eventually moving into a beach house in Malibu, directly in view of the house that Abel shares with his wife and kids. Grace's return also sparks unwanted media speculation about where she's been in her absence and about her current mental state making her a paparazzi magnet. So we also learn more about Grace's rise to fame. So after she was cast on her first project, she was immediately Abel's favorite and became his muse. So during their first movie together, he tells her that he needs her to do a stunt that involves her falling off of a fire escape and landing on a crash pad. But Grace is terrified of heights. When she can't do it, Abel withdraws his affection and starts a cycle of emotional abuse that persists throughout their relationship. Then, on the last day of filming the movie, he forces her to touch him. After the second Assassin's movie, Grace is depleted from spending months on a long shoot with Abel, who alternately builds her up and then withdraws his attention. To avoid going home to her parents, she signs on to a horror movie with a new director. Working with this new person is nothing like working with Abel, and it makes Grace realize the scope of his artistic talent. Even before they finish filming, they know the movie is garbage, so Grace agrees to a PR relationship with her co-star to try and salvage the movie. So Elon, who is her co-star and is actually gay, takes her to a Hollywood party for their first date. He immediately ditches her, and at this party, she tries cocaine for the first time. So she sort of thinks that she's made a new friend and a girl at the party, but then she finds her filming her while she's doing coke. So she gets in a huge fight with her date, and she ends up calling Abel to come get her. She thought that things would be so much better away from him, but instead, she's really disillusioned to find that they're actually worse. At the wrap party for the final movie in the trilogy, Abel forces Grace to give him a blowjob. Afterwards, she's horrified, but when she doesn't hear from him, she becomes scared that it means Abel doesn't want to work with her anymore. She moves home to her parents in a panic, but after a few weeks, Abel's wife comes to their house with an apology from Abel. Grace goes back to L.A., signs on to the next project with Abel, and begins drinking more and more to cope. A few weeks later, she meets her future husband, Dylan, at a party. His main appeal is that he makes her imagine that she could be normal. 
So by the time they start filming the new project, Grace and Dylan are married. He comes along with her to the shoot in Europe, and Grace believes that things will be different having Dylan around. So at first, they are different, but then after they wrap the movie, Abel tells Grace that he is no longer inspired by her and breaks off their professional relationship. So the rejection kills Grace. She thinks about telling the world what Abel did to her, but she ultimately feels like it wouldn't be credible because he just ended their partnership and she'll look like she's seeking revenge. Back in the present, Grace is lonely and probably depressed. She takes up a new hobby of watching Abel's wife through binoculars from her house. She also starts to mend her relationship with her sister, who begins visiting Grace every week while her friend goes to therapy in L.A. It turns out she's gotten kicked out of school for sending nudes to a boy in her class. Esme had been hooking up with him, but when the boy starts dating someone else, she becomes a pariah, and the nudes she sent to him end up being reposted to social media. She's slut-shamed by her former friends and mercilessly bullied online. So one day, Grace goes up to Abel's house when she thinks that nobody's home, but she runs into his wife, Amelia. So they catch up, and Amelia ends up taking on a motherly role towards Grace, helping her get groceries, helping her to fix a bad dye job that she gave herself, and eventually setting her up with an audition for a role in a movie with Abel's rival. So meanwhile, Abel is away in Utah finishing reshoots on a movie. And as they grow closer, Amelia suggests that Grace should be the one to present Abel with his Lifetime Achievement Award. So Grace and Esme concoct a revenge plan that Grace should use the occasion to speak out about her abusive relationship with Abel. In the meantime, Grace also exacts a smaller revenge, visibly inserting herself in Amelia's life in a way she thinks will bother Abel. She purposefully gets photographed dropping off Abel's kids at school and does a photo shoot for a magazine article at his house, knowing he will see these things and it will make him uncomfortable. Abel retaliates, punishing his wife by canceling his trip home for Christmas. Amelia shows up at Grace's house, distraught, and asks her if she'll come over for Christmas Eve to help distract her kids from their father's absence. But when Grace arrives on Christmas Eve, there's a party in full swing. Abel came home after all. And at the end of the night, Abel and Amelia have gotten into a huge fight. Abel is drunk and insists that they need to go out to buy more alcohol. Grace offers to drive him, but once they get in the car, Abel starts trying to gaslight her again. And in her rage, she drives off a cliff into the Malibu Canyon, trying to kill them both. But miraculously, they both survive. Grace is healing from her injuries when Amelia shows up at her parents' house. She knows what Abel did to Grace and comes to apologize, telling her they are moving to the East Coast and leaving for good after Abel appears one last time to accept his Lifetime Achievement Award. But Amelia also ends up threatening Grace, telling her that no one will believe her story if she speaks out against Abel, and that it will only tank her career. Further enraged, Grace shows up at the award show unannounced and gives a powerful speech about her abusive past with Abel, exposing an open secret in Hollywood of men in power sexually abusing women. She brings the house down. We fast forward to an epilogue a year later at Grace's birthday dinner. While her life is still far from perfect, she's surrounded by friends and family and no longer isolated and alone. So that's the book we're talking about. What a roller coaster of a book. I didn't realize how plotty it was until I started outlining it because I thought of this as more an emotional like character drama because so much of what happens happens in Grace's head and is about her mental state. But there's also a lot of plot. So much plot. So I guess to start off, I want to know how you felt about this book. Is this book in your regular wheelhouse? I feel like this is kind of more of a you book than a me book. I liked it. I don't – I feel like 
Maybe sometimes your definition of thriller and my definition of thriller are different. I liked it, but I would have preferred it to be a little more murdery and less <laughs> psychological. But I liked it. But for what it was, did you? I enjoyed it. Okay. Yeah. This felt, I don't know, I tend to like happy books and you tend to like, well, I mean, you like murdery books, but you also like more I like, like bad things happen to people yeah. books than I do. So I didn't feel like this book was in my wheelhouse at all. I, I generally don't like books about bad things happening to people. But this was your pick. And this was my pick. I really liked this one. I was really surprised by how much I liked it. I remember I sat down to read it. I started on a Friday night and I was kind of like, okay, I'm just going to read, you know, like 50 pages or so. And um, then I'm going to watch a movie. And like two hours later, I was like, halfway through it, I was like so sucked in and I was like, I need to know what happens. I think the pop culture element really sucked me in. If if it hadn't taken place in Hollywood, I don't know how I would have felt about it. But I really liked the like the pop culture, like celebrity tabloid angle. You know what this book reminded me of now that I I, I just thought of this? What? Do you remember that book we read, Fam- Famous in Love? Yeah. It was like <laughs> The bad girls version the dark, of that. The dark, dark version. Yeah, of the like dark what version. Could have happened. Yeah, because they're so similar, like, but not really. So I feel like we've read a lot of New York books, but fewer LA books. I agree. We we love a good New York book. We do. What? How did you feel about the portrayal of LA? I I mean, I felt like it was a grim portrayal of LA. Like it was definitely like the bleakest side of it. But I did feel like it was pretty accurate in terms of like. The restaurants they were going to, like, what was relevant to them, like, the references. And it's written by a woman who lives in L.A. So, I mean, I think it is, like, a very current spot-on book with regards to L.A. culture. But it definitely had a pessimistic view. Yes. I feel like you spend more time in L.A. than I do. How did you feel? I felt like it was pretty spot-on. Like, I could visualize them, like, sitting in restaurants in, in Venice. And, like, I just felt like I could really imagine it. Yeah. Um, like the driving scene, I could imagine the roads. Like, yeah, yeah. Do you like LA? Could I you love ever LA. Live in LA. I wouldn't want to live there, but I love visiting. Like, I love like a like I I freak I used to go to LA for work like four or five times a year, like because of my Sephora partnership and other stuff. But obviously, we don't go do that anymore. But my favorite thing would be to go for work and then stay like an extra day or two to see friends and. Like, my favorite place in the world is the Beverly Hills Hotel, so I love that that was in there at one point. Yeah, I love L.A. I miss L.A. Now I'm getting sad. I feel like we've um, – have we read any other L.A. books for the podcast? Uh, was No, the Jasmine Guillory books are all San Francisco until the new one. Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think so either. Um, I feel like we're giving L.A. a bad rap by, like, making this our first, like, L.A. book. <laughs> it's so dark. Because it's always a draw for me when a book is a good New York book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one thing that I thought was really interesting about this book is that Grace is a super unlikable character. And especially in the beginning before you kind of start to unravel her and understand why she is the way that she is. Did that affect how you felt about the book? Yes, because I don't want... I want the character who's named after me to be likable. Oh, so it was about her having the same name as you. Yes. Because I was surprised, too, that I feel like, not to say that as a general rule, I don't like dislikable people books, but I've read a couple recently um, during COVID, and it's been like a huge turnoff for me Yeah, recently. I, don't, I don't enjoy it. But I didn't mind it with this one. 
And I think maybe it was because this one was like more fun and fast paced. I didn't like her, but I liked the book. Right. But you also knew from the beginning that something terrible had happened to her. So like she had motive for being. Yeah. Terrible versus other people, other characters in books who have less motive and are just terrible people. I would agree with that. I just wish she had a different name. (laughs) I'm sorry. At least she wasn't Grace Atwood. What was the show where there was a actual Oh my god, Grace that Atwood? show Guilt on Freeform. I don't know if it's still around. I don't think so. I was very upset by that. That's so funny. It was so funny. The other thing that I really liked about this book and I think made it I don't know, it was just another layer that I really enjoyed about it was kind of the juxtaposition of Grace's story versus Esme's story. Yeah. And it was kind of like Grace's story was not fantastical in that it couldn't happen because it absolutely could, but I'm not a celebrity. It didn't feel to me as if it was something that was like my life. It felt like something that was very like you would read about, mm-hmm. whereas Esme's was a different different side of the same coin of like sexual assault and, and emotional abuse, but it was um, much more high school, real life, could totally happen to any regular person. Totally. And so I thought having both sides of that, the more um, like the famous f- person and the regular person. Yeah, exactly. Versions. It, I think it made the book so much more. I don't know. It just grounded it a lot more than having it be this like totally fantastical ripped from the headlines thing. Yeah, I would agree with that. I felt terrible for Esme. I know. Me too. Um, I can't imagine. I mean, her story that we kind of touched on in the plot summary was that basically she was at this like very elite boarding school. She was hooking up with a guy. He asked her to send him nudes and she did. Then he started dating her best friend and then she became like the outcast and all of her friends were like making memes of it and like posting it online. And then she somehow ended up getting in trouble even though she was the one who was being bullied. So sad. Like I can't imagine. I... I had social media in college, but I I don't even feel like it was so prevalent. Like, Facebook was literally just, like, web shots at that point. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, can't imagine being in high school or college with social media. No. I would not want to be. I don't know. Even yeah. one of my friends has um, a daughter who's 10, and she's already, like, getting into it. Um, Where, like, I don't know. She got in trouble because, like, her and her friends were um, – like bullying a classmate on social media and it's like oh my god it starts so young it starts so young i'm so glad we didn't have social media i know yeah i know so i want to talk about all the relationships in this book because i think that's kind of the most interesting part but before we do let's take a quick ad break so this episode is brought to you by bon viv I am really excited about this sponsor. You know how much I love regular seltzer, and this is Spike Seltzer, and it's so delicious, and it has zero sugar and just 90 calories per can. Yes, I love these so much. I was so happy when they emailed us um, asking if we would want to partner. I was like, absolutely, because I already was a fan of it. I had the seltzers in my fridge already, so I was so happy, and I just love these seltzers so, so much. Um, There's eight flavors. There's the blends. The pear elderflower is my absolute favorite of everything. There's a clementine hibiscus, which is maybe my second or third favorite. There's a pineapple coconut, and there's a more classic lemon lime. And there's also the classic flavors. So there's cranberry, black cherry, mango, and grapefruit. They're all super light, refreshing, and they taste great. 
I am obsessed with the cranberry one. I've never seen a cranberry spiked seltzer before, and I am very into it as something a little bit different, but it's also like a good, nice tart. It's not too sweet. Yeah, I feel like it's like a Cape Codder in a can. Yeah. It's like the Cape Cod person inside of me that appeals to me. Again, my favorite is the pear elderflower, but they're all good. I had the grapefruit one last night, and it was so delicious and refreshing. It kind of reminded me a little bit of a Paloma. Hmm. Yeah, so you can't tell right now, but it's Friday afternoon, and we broke out a couple of Bon Vivs for recording. We sure did. I think what makes these so special is the flavor profiles. Like they're not too sweet. They're They're not not artificial. Yeah, they taste just like real fruit flavors. Yeah. So Bon Viv is on a mission to make this summer the best it can be, even though we're inside. So even though things are a little different than usual, you can still have fun. You can still have a good refreshing drink safely. Yes. And we've been doing socially distanced hangouts and Bon Viv is absolutely perfect for that. These seltzers have been one of my absolute favorite summer beverages. I live alone, so I don't always want to open up a whole bottle of wine or spend the time to make a fancy cocktail just for me. So I really love that it's just so easy to just crack one of these. It's so satisfying. When it's hot out, it's like really refreshing. I love opening up one up while I cook dinner or watch a movie. I couldn't agree more. I've been, my latest thing is doing a puzzle, listening to an audiobook, and drinking a Bon Viv. Um, yeah, so like a, th- like a three for one. I also like it when I'm reading, when I'm taking one of my master class lessons, or when we're having them together, recording or hanging out on the patio. That's been really nice. Your patio has been like our staycation. Yes, it has. I'm glad that I redid it. But guys, you have to try these spike seltzers. They're delicious. They're really just the perfect, refreshing summer treat. And if you try them, take a photo and tag us in your Instagram story and let us know which one is your favorite. Yes, we'd love that. Back to the episode. So let's talk about all of the relationships in this book. I feel like this book was much more about the relationships and the plot. Like you needed the plot to understand why these relationships were the way they were. But I felt like for me, at least, the interpersonal dynamics were so much more important than any like action. Yes. Agreed. So I guess let's start with Grace and Abel. So this one was really interesting to me because even though it is kind of the central relationship of the book, like her relationship to him in the past and then how it's affected her currently, this is kind of like I was kind of least interested in this. Not that I didn't believe her, not that it wasn't... um, not that she didn't go through something serious. I did like the revenge plot line, but I was like much more here for the relationships with the women. Yes. the Well, the relationships between the women were so complicated where this yes. is kind of like your standard sexual abuse scenario. And it's, yes. it's horrible and it's awful, but we've seen it before. It's not that complicated. Yeah. Like he was gross. He did something he, was a gross he creep. do and he didn't get in trouble for it. But I could understand why – because a lot of times when I read uh, these books, I feel really frustrated at the main character. I'm like, why isn't she standing up for herself? But you completely understand why not in this. You completely understand. And even though part of this um, has to do with her being underage, so she starts acting in movies, I think, when she's 15. And by the time this trilogy ends, she's like 19. It, it didn't even, to me, have to do with her being young. Like, I just could completely understand how and why she felt the way that she did. Especially as she was so distanced from her family. Well, she was so isolated. I mean, I think so isolated. That was what where the ending, the epilogue was just this like little quick 
scene of her at a dinner for her birthday, it was like, oh, she has people. Yes. She's not just by herself. Yes. So yeah, I mean, I you completely understand the isolation. Also, like, and I want to talk more about this outside of the context of this book, but like she had this weird growing up in Hollywood teenage years where she like grew up too fast and she was just like around all of these adults. Mm-hmm. And it like she felt like her career was hinging on this. Yeah, it really makes me sad because I just feel like she didn't get to be a kid. Absolutely. And I I feel like, I don't know, we'll save this for later because I do want to talk about this in the context of Real Hollywood. But, you know, it didn't seem like the story was that fantastical, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm sure, obviously, with Me Too, people have come forward and their situations, I mean, none of this, this isn't like a thinly veiled portrayal of like real events actually this book was written before me too did you know that i didn't know that there was an author's note at the end that she started writing this book in february of 2017 before the first me too allegations came out so you know it wasn't necessarily i'm sure they influenced those because i think it was probably still being edited during that but it wasn't like it wasn't necessarily a fictionalized version of that because it hadn't happened yet yeah yeah interesting I also thought with Abel, I could relate, not relate, but I could um, just understand so viscerally why she didn't feel like she could come forward. Mm -hmm. Like she talks about, for one, Abel doesn't look like a monster. He was like a good looking guy who I think he'd been an actor in his past. And he was like very attractive. He was like very well regarded in Hollywood. So it was like something that you wouldn't want to believe it. Yeah. And he's like, I feel like he was kind of like, I don't know, like a Tom Hanks type to the public. Like he was very beloved. He had this great wife and these beautiful kids. Yeah. So it wasn't like he was like a creepy single older man. Right. And then the other thing that she she grappled with a lot in the book that I really felt for was how she felt like speaking out could make her life worse rather than better. Like even though she would free herself, it would be out there, even though he would get what was coming to him potentially, Mm -hmm. she was like, it would submit her for speculation. It would make it harder for her to get work. Like it would have all these negative repercussions for her. And so it was something that had to be weighed where it wasn't just like a cut and dry, like he did something wrong. I should come forward so that so that I get justice. And I really loved there was this kind of um, interwoven storyline with her and Esme where it was clear that like Esme was I think she was like 16 and she still believed in like very cut and dry like good and evil and Grace was like oh no sweetie like yeah it's much more complicated than that and I feel like Grace was dealing with that side of it where it wasn't just like he did something wrong I should come forward and then he'll get punished like she was dealing with a much more gray and realistic portrayal of like how this would impact her life agree yeah I also thought it was really interesting that she didn't find her power until she, like, kind of had nothing left to lose. Yeah. Like, it, she had this, like, false start where she ended up leaving Hollywood once and... Went back pretty went quickly. Went back pretty quickly. And it wasn't until she was, like, truly at her rock bottom where she was like, well, fuck it. And, like, there was this moment, and it really stood out to me the second time I read the book because I knew it was going to happen, where, like, she flips from, like, depression to anger. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'm going to fuck shit up. Yeah. And I understood it, but I thought it was, like, a really interesting character arc where she was, like, I guess somewhat living 
under the weight of all of this. And she was just like really down and depressed, which is totally justified. And then she like snapped and she was like, oh, like it doesn't matter if I look bad in if like the paparazzi have terrible photos of me or it doesn't matter like what happens. Like I'm not employed. Like I'm so she was so it was just so bad already that it didn't even matter. Right. Like she like things couldn't get worse. Right. Yeah. And like that turning point for her was like ultimately I don't want to say positive, but like it didn't feel that way. Like even emotionally for her, I'm sure it didn't feel like she was like, oh, like this is great. But it like from as an outsider, it was like, oh, yeah, get mad, get even. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So the the relationship that I really want to talk about that I thought was the most interesting was Grace's relationship with Abel's wife. Amelia. Amelia. Yeah. Like how much do you think Amelia knew? Well, that's what I was what I was kind of grappling with. Was she just like this sweet angelic woman who didn't know anything or was she kind of in on it and wanted to like help fix her because she felt bad yeah there were like there were kind of a bunch of different options where it was like at at one point I was like oh she's helping Grace because she recognizes herself in Grace because Abel has also Done emotionally stuff. abused her if not sexually abused her and like she's in the same cycle of him like withdrawing his affection and so I was like oh Maybe that's it. And then at one point, it seemed like she was an accomplice when she, like, came to the house and, like, got her back for Abel. She was, yeah. like, doing his dirty work. Or even at the end, like, at and I end. guess that's where it really ended up. But I still kind of, like, don't want to believe it. I know. Because <laughs> she really helped her make that comeback. Right. But, like, how – I feel like she felt guilty. And, yeah, that's the last one is, like, she promised Grace's parents when – before she signed on to the movies that she would watch out for her. And then she really didn't. And it sounded like maybe she had some postnatal depression and was like dealing with other things because she was pregnant at the time when Grace signed on to the movies and then had twin daughters who were young. And so she like was like, I'll watch out for her and then didn't. Yeah, I was dying for this the second half of the book to like figure out what she knew. Yes. And like what it kind of to your point, like did Abel do this stuff to her too? I, I, I don't know. Because at some points, it seemed like she was acting in Abel's interest. Like, obviously, when she comes to Grace's parents' house and gets her to come back to Hollywood, that helped Abel. But then there were other points where she was directly acting against his interest, where she helped Grace get an audition for this movie that she knew that Abel was upset about because it was his, like, rival's new movie and was getting all this buzz. So he, like, she was inconsistent in terms of, like, whose favor she was acting in. I know. It also made me really sad outside of her relationship with Amelia. Just like Amelia kind of came in as a surrogate mother, but like how helpless Grace was. Like she I was know. living in that sad house and she like she didn't have, didn't have food. cups. <laughs> yeah, she didn't have cups. Like, <laughs> like she didn't have anything. And she just like, or she like doesn't have a cell phone and she like goes to a gas station. And she's like, can I get a cell phone? And they're like, we don't have cell phones here. Like yeah. she just seemed like so helpless. So lost because she's so used to like this Life as a pampered starlet where everything is just given to her. Yeah. So on the one hand, like, I feel like she really needed Amelia to, like, figure out a function. But then I was so upset at the end when Amelia came to her parents' house and basically, like, I can't tell how malicious it was because it was, like, some of it was, like, a bad apology where she was, like, I'm so sorry and, like, I I can't believe this happened to you. But it was, like, okay, well, by saying that, you're – admitting your culpability in it totally but then she really did flip a switch and she was like threatening grace where she was like don't tell on him yeah but i don't know why she wanted to stay with him 
I know. Knowing what she knew. I know. Because it wasn't clear until the Christmas party that she knew anything. Yes. And so if she didn't know and she was burying her head in the sand, like, I think she said something at one point about him having affairs. So she, like, maybe knew that he was unfaithful, but, like, didn't know the scope of. Yeah. And that part where she was like, I have a nice life. I stay out of his business. This and that. Right. Like, that was really sad to me. Right. But then when she knew at the end that he had definitively abused like, her, ab- abused Grace while she was, and additionally while she was underage in general on the one hand, and then just also while she was underage, it was like, why are you staying with him? Yeah, I know. I also thought, oh, this is what I wanted to say earlier. When she asks Grace, were you ever in love with my husband? Like, clearly Abel had been saying something totally different to her and like been like, oh, yeah, she's in love with me, this and that. So I kind of wonder, like, what Abel was telling her along all along. Absolutely. And it was interesting in the my second read. So this plot line doesn't even really come into the, into play until the second half of the book. So the first half of the book is way more about, like, what happened to Grace. But then the Amelia stuff really is, like, only the second half. And I feel like that, for me, was, like, the point where I was fully addicted to this book. Mm-hmm. That's where I started to really like it, too. Because I liked it before that. I was like, oh, yeah, I want to know what happened to this girl. I want to know what happened to her in the past. But then when she got involved with a wife, I was like, I need to know. Yeah. Yeah. What about her relationship with Dylan? It was sad. I mean, don't get married at age 21. But I understand why. Because these kids don't get to be kids. And they, like, have to grow up so fast. That's what I was going to say. Is I was like, it was sad, but it felt – felt I've not- seen so many – celebrities do this that I kind of like I'm like well yeah it's believable yeah yeah and it was so sad because it was built on this like shoddy foundation of her wanting to be with him to feel normal and that he was so like unjaded and optimistic that she was like she wanted to be the person that she was with him and that like broke my heart yes and it really broke my heart when she tried to tell him what had been happening and he shut her down but then we find out later that he was going to tell her that he was che- that he was cheating on her well he wasn't cheated he had cheated he, had, he cheated. had just come home and there was like a it was like a misunderstanding yeah i don't think he was shutting down for the reasons that she right. thought that he was shutting down well again going back to don't get married at 21 like they obviously had really poor communication yes and they you could kind of see it coming a mile away, but it was like, oh, no, this isn't going to work. Yeah. I uh. don't know. But then it didn't seem like he was so perfect either. Like, she painted him in her head to be this, like, perfect, guileless, um, angelic guy. But then he also was, like, attracted to darkness because I didn't even cover this. But then Grace – there's, like, a part of the book where Grace goes out – clubbing with his new girlfriend that friendship was strange the friendship was super strange but then the girl it turns out the girl has like a raging eating disorder and like all of these issues with like her self-esteem and it was like dylan's kind of gravitating towards these women who are in some way not i guess broken and that he he's like collecting them you know yeah it's like a collection of broken woman i know so it it didn't feel like he was totally not culpable in this either yeah 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 i couldn't decide where i netted out did you want him and grace to get back together or no 
I'm a romantic. I wanted them to get back together. I couldn't tell. I I mean, he did seem like a good guy. And it was like, okay, if you fix your communication and everything's out in the open, maybe. But I kind of wanted her to like move past him and like find somebody totally new. Yeah, I could have gone with it either way. I just I, I like I like a happy love story at the end. Yeah. And it I wasn't upset that there was ambiguity that it, like I didn't we didn't know either way. And I was OK with that. Yeah, agree. Because I think if they'd gotten back together, I might have felt sad. But if she had totally left him, I think I would also feel sad. I feel like it was a no win. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. What about Esme? Let's talk about poor, not the, poor Esme. Well, not their situation, not Esme's situation, but I want to talk about her relationship with Grace because I felt like it was so interesting that she was the younger sister, but in some ways she was making way more effort on the relationship side. Yes. And she was also kind of the wiser one. Yeah. I thought it was really sweet how she kind of was the one putting in the work to to rehabilitate their relationship. She also was just like very um not self-aware but she was she did have some awareness where she had this line that I I wrote I loved down this line. where she says celebrities stay frozen at the age they first become famous. Yeah. So she's kind of like excusing Grace's behavior that she's like, "Well, you're the older sister, but you got famous at 15, so you're actually just stuck at 15. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I know. This author clearly has lived in L.A. and spent a lot of time with celebrities. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Because I I also... I'm, I just thought there were so many, like, clever, astute observations. There are, but I also feel somewhat guilty where it's like, are we projecting this as people who don't know? True. Versus, I don't know. True. I mean, I obviously have a lot to say in terms of compare and contrast with Jessica Simpson's audiobook, because I feel like that was just like such a raw, honest portrayal of growing up in Hollywood. And I feel like that's like such a good reference point to this book. Yes, agree. But outside of that, I think, you know, the other thing about this Grace's story was that it was like before she left Hollywood, she was like so unknowable. She had this like raging drug problem, but it was like, an open secret, but she was never in the tabloids or anything. So it's also like you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Like there's this whole machine that's meant to portray people the way that they want to be portrayed. Yeah. I don't know. How did you feel about Esme's revenge plot? I liked it. I thought she was just so crafty. Oh, I thought so too. Crafty but it teens. was also such a bad idea. Yeah, terrible. Terrible idea, but So the I love the I love the scheming. I know. So basically they they craft a dual revenge plot where grace grace's revenge is going to be that she goes to the award show to introduce abel and she ends up talking about their abusive past and then esme's revenge is going to be that she sets up a video camera and lures this guy who wronged her into a bedroom to hook up that she wants to get back together and he's naked get him naked and then like take the naked photos of him and like turn it around on him but then it gets turned around on her that like all the girls are actually in the room waiting for her and they jump out and it she doesn't even get to her plan yeah i thought it was clever though i liked the scheming I know, but it was such a bad idea. Yeah. I, I did want, I feel like Grace got hers. Like she. Yeah, I wanted Esme to get hers. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. So that was sad. What about Grace's relationship with herself? I got to tell you, I would love to hear from somebody who is a therapist. To the stars? 
No, just in general. Just like anyone who is a psychologist, what their thoughts were on Grace's mental state. Oh, maybe we've got some therapists in the as listeners that are in the Facebook group. Yeah, if you read this book and you're a therapist, I would love to hear your your diagnoses on mm-hmm. on Grace because she had such a complicated inner relationship going on too. Yeah, and she had all these people in her life like doing everything for her and like serving her every need, making sure she had cups and cooking for her and cleaning up after her, but no one to confide in. I think that is kind of true, like the isolation of being very famous, where it was like, (laughs) this is such a weird comparison, but I remember a couple years ago, The Rock had this like Instagram about how thrilled he was to go out to a restaurant because he could never eat in restaurants because it just was like such a scene. And he like, I don't know if it was his wife's birthday or his birthday or something, but they like closed down a restaurant. It was like a casual restaurant in Hawaii. And just like his post about how meaningful it was to eat in a restaurant you're like oh yeah it you only think about the good parts but i mean like as an individual i'm sure it would be super isolating to be this like super a-list celebrity yeah you can't go to a restaurant without causing a total shit show right and so you end up needing to have people do things for you because like taylor you can't swift go can't go to shopping. best buy you know? no yeah so and then if you, if you never get a chance to grow up and know how to do those things and then you're like because you're a child star and then you're an adult and you never learn. Well, I I feel like there's a lot of debate about that in the Britney Spears type thing where yeah. it was like because she's in a conservatorship and it was like, does she need to be conserved because she is a danger to herself or like. I guess you could also make the case that because she's been conserved so long, it's like, can she exist effectively outside of a conservatorship? Yeah. You know? I don't know. Okay. So let's also talk about kind of one of the biggest plot points was Grace decided to drive off a cliff. Literally. That was wild. And that was why I'm just so interested in her mental state because it was like she was kind of in this like total fuck it mode where she was like, I'll throw it all away. Yeah. And it's interesting because there was a parallel. Uh, do you remember the movie that she was auditioning to be in? And the plot of the movie is it's like this like space romance thing. And it sounds super cheesy. But at the end, the female ruler of the galaxy destroys everything because everyone has become too corrupt. And I feel like there was like some parallel to Grace where she was like, I don't care if I take myself out with able like i just want to see him hurt yeah i don't know i i didn't mind it like even though it was so fantastical and like such a crazy thing i didn't mind a that she drove off the cliff or b that she survived yeah i didn't either it was crazy but it was it was also well explained in the book where i guess there was like other accidents that had happened there i don't know if they were real or fictional but that other people had survived where i was i didn't get hung up on it even though i was like oh wow you drove off a cliff and you're fine yeah i know so i don't know were you surprised that she decided to go to the award show and out able because it was kind of a running debate through the book i was not surprised i think i was pretty sure that was gonna happen i I felt like it was the only way to wind down the book I was surprised. I was happy, but I was surprised. What did you see happening? I saw her just going on to be in this movie and like going on to build a more successful career without him and take a quiet revenge that she could be at the top of her game. Oh, I kind of knew something bad was going to happen. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, in in the book world, but I, I guess I wasn't. I don't know. It did surprise me that she ended up doing it. And not in a yeah. good or bad way. Just. Yeah. I could have seen it going a different way. Yeah. All right. The last thing I want to talk about before we talk about some other stuff having to do with this book, but outside the plot, there was this one running trope in the book. Not trope, but like there was this one running thing that she was in this movie about a sex worker and it had been like very critically acclaimed. A lot of people loved the movie and all through the book, people were asking her to say the line. Yeah. What was it? That you never know. Yeah, I know. But it was like, what is it? And at the when I reread the book, I was like, oh, maybe I just missed it. And then at the very end, like one of the last things, Dylan's like, now would be the perfect time to say the line. Like, don't you think you should say the line? And she's like, I don't think I I've earned never having to say the line again. I'm like, what is the line? Yeah, I know. It didn't it didn't ruin the book for me or anything. But I was like, tell me what it is. Pissed you off a little. Pissed me off a little. Yeah. Yeah. Also, as a writer, after all of that, she's probably like, I can't come up with a line that like is worthy of all of like how much it's totally. been built up. I know. I bet. So it's like, yeah, gu- guess I got to go for a cop out. Yeah, it was a little bit of a cop out. <laughs> what could the line be? Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to talk about with this book is just like more broadly. So I feel like this is part of a, a canon of books about like women entering men's worlds and getting bad things happening to them. Yeah. It's kind of like a genre of books. And I was thinking specifically of one parallel being the Whisper Network, which I did I never not read like. that. I've heard everyone keeps telling me to read it, but I did not read it. A lot of people a lot of people liked it. I did not like it. And I also can see parallels to the Boys Club, which is another book we thought about yes. discussing this month. Um I thought there were so many similarities. I know. It depresses me that I couldn't think of a genre of, like, women going where they don't belong and, like, fucking shit up. <laughs> genre. Women fuck shit up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> even though I feel like this ended on a more positive note that Grace got hers, it was, like, it wasn't long-ranged enough to then see her going on to, like, really win by having a good life. Yeah. And I was, I don't know, I was just trying to think of, I don't know, I was thinking of Sally Krawcheck and her talking to us about, you know, being in like men's circles and these guys who are like out for themselves, but like now she's the CEO of this great company. I'm like, I want the Sally Krawcheck story version of some of these books. Yes. Like the later years ones mm-hmm. of like, I went where I didn't belong. It was. It was hard, but look where I am now and yeah. look how I p- pulled through and look what I've done with my life. Yeah, I want that genre. Yeah, I would like that genre. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. The other thing I want to talk about is this is like a fictionalized portrayal of child stardom, but it felt so relevant to me. I already said in light of Jessica Simpson's book, in light of everything going on with the Britney Spears case, like just in general, even like Mary-Kate Nashley is always top of mind for me. Yeah. I don't know. I just do you think it's possible to be a child star and to be well adjusted? I think it's really fucking hard. I know that there's I think there's even Drew Barrymore. Some, yeah. I mean, she was such a wild child for all those years. I'm trying to think like if there's anyone that's like I mean the Olsen twins, but they're kind of weird. Like, no, I feel like they got super fucked up in the process. I think they did, but they at least like have like 
they got out of the industry. They created a viable fashion business. They have like three different fashion lines. They did, but I I do feel like there was some like weird stuff going on with like Heath Ledger with like Heath Ledger's death and with the Olsons. Yeah, I don't know anything about that. So when Heath Ledger died, he was dating Mary Kate Olson, and he overdosed and. He was getting a massage and the massage therapist like knew to call Mary Kate and she was like, don't call the police. I'll have my people come. And I don't know. Like, I just feel like there was like a lot of darkness in terms of like maybe drugs or what. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anyone who's normal that was a child star. I mean, Ryan Gosling seems pretty normal for it. And he was on the Mickey Mouse Club, too. I think it's because he's a guy. I feel like male child stars come out. Not always. Like, there's, like, the Corys were all real fucked up. Um, who? Corey Haim and who's oh, the other oh, Corey? Oh, oh, oh. There's two Corys. Yeah. There's another Corey. Um, well, I was talking to somebody else about this. Maybe it was you. I don't remember. Um, where it was, like, when I was young, kind of the four female stars were, like, Britney Spears, Jessica Simpson, Christina Aguilera, and Mandy Moore. And Mandy Moore is the only one who has seemingly come out all right. Yeah, Mandy Mandy's doing okay. She was probably also the least popular one. Yeah. But Mandy is a good example of one that is doing all right now. Yeah. Yeah, but she also was like not very successful until this is us. She like had like a real dark spot in her career. That's true. Where I watched um, Maybe she was like going to high school and being a normal girl. Maybe. I don't know. Or like Natalie Portman went to Harvard and like had a nice life. But what what was she in when she was a kid? Um, she was, wasn't she opposite Brad Pitt in that vampire movie? Oh, I don't remember. I don't remember. She was in stuff when she was young. Okay. But she was more of like a child actor, not like. Yeah. A star that had like, I don't, I can't even quite describe what the difference is to me, but like people who are famous to people their own age versus people who are just like in things and relevant actors. Yeah. You know? Because mm-hmm. I feel like there's also an element of the fame doing something to you. Totally. Versus I don't know how famous Natalie P- Portman felt if she was in, like, Interview with a Vampire. True. I don't know. The other thing that really stuck out was food issues in this. Mm-hmm. And I feel like also from reading Jessica Simpson's memoir and following Britney Spears on Instagram, who always wants to be skinny as a needle, um, <laughs> seems, like, pervasive as well. Like, there's... A whole plot line in the beginning about how Grace comes back to Hollywood and she's gained 10 pounds and how, like, everyone treats it like it's the end of the world. And she yeah. goes to brunch and she orders an egg sandwich and, like, her dining companion is horrified. Yes, I know. Like, they were acting like it was the end of the world and what? She was probably, like, a size two or four. Right. I know. That was yeah. the other thing is I was, like, how pervasive food issues must be mm-hmm. for these people who grow up needing to trade on their looks in their body because it made me really sad in jessica simpson's book when she talks about how she signed her record contract and they were like now please go lose 15 pounds yeah i know so awful and also the relationships like i feel like even though those relationships are fake like britney spears do you remember when she like went to vegas and like married that guy or she like her and kevin yeah like it's like i feel like all of these people also have these like relationship things where it's like they're looking for something they're trying to like fill a hole yeah. I don't know. It just felt so real to me. It did. I agree. Yeah. It was not my normal happy book, but I was so... I just found it to be compulsively readable. Like, I was like, 
so into it. Yeah, I would agree. I really liked it. Oh, all right. Yeah. Should we get out of this and get into some end matter? Yes, let's do it. Okay. What about Instagram? Okay. Instagram. So you are responsible for my Instagram obsession. So you sent me this brand like a month ago, and it's called Mr. Zimmy. M-I-S-T-E-R-Z-I-M-I. Oh, yeah. And you sent me this brand. And you were like, I feel like you would like this. And I do. I started following them. And like once a week, I will like see one of their Instagrams come up and I'll be like, I want that. And it's a clothing brand. But the problem is, is that it's based in Australia. And do you remember when I got totally burned by buying from that other brand that I really liked? And yes. then I tried to return it and it was like $150 to return it. Yeah. So I'm like, I've learned my lesson, kind of. Yeah. But if anyone has experience buying from them and like can tell me how sizing runs and how the quality is and like wants to convince me to buy from them, I, I am convincible. Okay. But they're my Instagram obsession. Yeah, their stuff is very cute. What's yours? Mine is an, a bookstagrammer. Her name is Sarah and her handle is Bookish and Black. Oh, I've never heard of her. And I'm hosting this influencer event. When when this goes live, I'll already have hosted it. And... um. One of the girls who I invited said, oh, you should invite Sarah from Bookish and Black. And I wasn't familiar with her handle yet. And so I started following her. And I love her account. She's got great book recommendations. We've read a lot of the was, same books. I was just going to say, I can already tell from a quick scan that we have similar reading tastes. Yeah, like she's got Clap When You Land and The Vanishing Half and One to Watch and like a lot of the books that we love, but also a lot of really good books by Black authors. And so I feel like I am getting a lot of recs from her. Okay. I followed yeah. her too. I'm interested. Yeah. What about on the non-Instagram obsession side? Um, I am obsessed with this company called Shaker and Spoon. And this originated as a blogger gift. Milagro Tequila reached out to me and was like, we want to send you like a cocktail making kit and some tequila. And I was like, this is... 10 years of blogging, this is the first time a tequila brand has offered to gift me. And I mean, tequila is like my favorite thing to drink. So I was very excited. And what it is, is it's this like mixology kit. And it comes with, I want to say four different recipes and like all the little extras to make it. So I made this drink and it needed like orange oil, but it came with like a little spritzer bottle of orange oil and oh. everything's perfectly portioned out. Like, you know, there was like an Italian soda that you need. So it comes with all these fancy ingredients that would be hard to source because like I went to then recreate it and I was like trying to buy all the ingredients on Amazon and I was going to spend like $70 on all the stuff to make this cocktail. So the, bo the box just like includes it all in there. And I just like that they give you great recipes and the box doesn't come with any of the alcohol you need, just the mixers, which mixers can be kind of hard to track down for like fancy cocktails. Yeah. So I just think it's such a cool idea. That's fun. Yeah. What about you? So I feel like the sorority house is having a very big H&M moment. Yeah, we're all loving H&M. I haven't bought anything from H&M in legit probably seven years. Funny. And we saw Alex out. <laughs> she lives in our house, but we saw her at a restaurant with other people. And she was wearing this super cute dress. And we were like, where is it from? And it was H&M. And um, then she was also telling me that she's really into H&M's bike shorts. So I, I the other night, I placed a big H&M order. And I was kind of in the back of my head. Like, I was like, this will probably not work. But like, why not? I got my order. And I got like three out of five dresses that I got. I was like, oh, I really like these. And I mean, it's fast fashion. And I can't speak. I, it's probably not very ethical. But um, for like 
$30, $20, $30 dresses. I was like, stuff's cute. Yeah, there's a lot of cute stuff right now. And like, it felt decent quality. One of my favorite nightgown dresses is H&M. And Alex also had this super cute leopard dress on, and that's H&M. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. When we saw her the other night? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's very good right now. I feel like I'm in a weird shopping phase where I'm kind of buying things outside my normal for I'm like COVID. Real cheap about clothes. Like I've been wearing a lot of Target dresses. I'm I've really had a lot cheap of luck with Target too because I feel like I'm like I don't know how this will fit into my post-COVID life. So I want to buy cheap things that if I never wear them again, it's fine. Yeah, and I also am dressing a lot more casually than I normally would. Yeah, I'm wearing a lot of dresses that feel like nightgowns or like smock dresses because I. I, you probably have to wear a bra, but I won't wear a bra with them. And then I just feel like even more comfortable. But anyway, H&M for dresses right now, like huge thumbs up for me. Yeah, I'm I'm really big into their clothes. All the smock dresses, all the nightgown dresses. If you want to go on the dark side and wear bike shorts. I actually didn't like the bike shorts that much. Oh, can I just tell you, I'm not getting bike shorts just out of pure stubbornness. A reader messaged me and was like, by the way, I saw that you hate bike shorts. Like, I, here's some options you might really like. And I was like, no, you don't understand. Like, those are cute. It's become a moral thing. It's a moral thing. Like, I cannot ethically wear bike shorts because I have talked so much shit about them. I can't wait till you wear bike shorts. Tori Birch, though, had the cutest set. It's a sports bra and then matching bike shorts. And it's like indigo blue with like. I can't wait till you cave. I I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Maybe and, I'll get you some for your birthday. As tie-dye. Do, do not get me bike shorts. I'll get you the Tory set. And then you'll have to like hang it in your closet and be like, do I wear it? If you get me bike shorts, I'm going to get you self-tanner. I bought self-tanner. I just haven't used it because I'm already really tan. <laughs> you are tan. What about? I'm, I'm just thinking of presents you wouldn't want. <laughs> It's not that I wouldn't want it. It just wouldn't do me much good right now. Yeah. No, I'm going to get you a spray tan visit. That's what I'm going to get you. You would never go. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> um, what about on the reading front? Um, On the reading front, what did I read this week? I read The Changeling by Victor Laval, which – so I'm – moderating this panel for random house it's actually tonight you guys so you should all come listen i'll put the link in my instagram but it's a panel with four different authors and one of them is victor laval so i'm trying to read all of their books before the panel clearly i do not know who victor laval is because if you had asked me i would have said he was a french man who lived in the 1800s so well he's still alive and he wrote a book a couple years ago called the changeling which remember when we were joking that Tyrion was a changeling? No, I know what it is. I just thought that it was written in the 1800s. No. Well, this book is fucking creepy. It's like the weirdest book I've ever read. I am going to interview him tonight and I don't know what I'm going to say. You're just going to be like, why are you such a creep, Victor? <laughs> no, it's a beautifully written book. Are it's, you a ghost? It's been on all the like lists of notable books, but it's really weird. Well, maybe um, he's a ghost from the 1800s and that's why it's so weird. So I read that, and then I'm about 60% through Majesty by Catherine McGee. It's so So good. good. Wait, can we tell the people? Yeah, you got to tell the people last month. I want to tell the people. Okay. Next month, our book club pick is Majesty by Catherine McGee, which is the second book in the American Royals series. And last year when we read American Royals, it was definitely one of our most popular book clubs ever. The sequel is so good. What happens is absolutely not what I thought was going to happen. It threw me for such a loop in such a good way. Yeah, so good. If you haven't read the first one, I think there's two books out and there's, I think, three books in the series and one of them hasn't come out yet. I think you should definitely, it's worth going back to the first one. They're so, so good. 
It's about what if the U.S. had a royal family instead of a democracy? So George Washington became the first king instead of the first president, and then his descendants in present day are the rulers of America. So good. It's so good. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I read. I read it in like two days. I loved it. Loved it. I couldn't put it down. It was so, so good and so addictive and satisfying. And then I also started this book that I am obsessed with called You Had Me at Ola by Alexis Daria. And it's a romance set on the set of a telenovela, like a modern telenovela, like something for Netflix. And um, it's a romance between the two lead actors in it. And it's kind of... I would equate it to a Jasmine Guillory book in that there are parts that are very steamy. So it is a very sexy book, but it's also like the characters and the plot outside of the romance part is also really, really good. They sent me that and I'm really excited to read it. It's so good. I started it last night and I'm like 250 pages in. Oh my God. I love a book like it that. It was so, so good. I really like all the characters and um, it's like just a fun plot that I haven't read anything like before. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that one. Really enjoying that. I guess this is our plea to go pick up Majesty. It comes out September 1st. Oh my God. It's so good. Read it along with us and we will be talking about it the last Wednesday in September. We sure will. If you're a therapist, please come to the Facebook group and tell me your diagnosis of Grace, the character, not Grace Atwood, my co-host. Yes, and follow us. Um, we're on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm on Instagram at, at Grace Atwood, and I blog every day at thestripe.com. And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. I have another podcast called Romcom Pods. And if you haven't listened to the first season, go do that. All right. Bye, guys. See you next week.